Father, I thank you. I give you praise. I give you glory. Thank you for these sons and daughters of yours. Thank you for what you're doing in our midst. Father, quiet our hearts now. Open our minds. Open our ears and teach us to incline our ears to wisdom and apply our hearts to understanding. I pray you'd release the spirit of wisdom and revelation. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to you uh, about something very important. And we've talked a lot about deliverance. We've talked a lot about breakthrough. We've talked a lot about strongholds being broken off of your life. But what I want to talk to you about is the next level. Because actually, if all we talk about is deliverance and all we talk about is breakthrough and all we talk about is freedom, we're actually missing the heart of what it is that God has for us. God's destiny for you is not just that you would be freed from every stronghold of sin and every demonic oppression. God's purpose for you is not just to deliver you. But God's desire for you is that you will reign with Him. Being free from oppression and reigning are two different things. And there are a lot of believers who have broken free from oppression but have not yet begun to reign. And God's desire for you is not just that nothing else would reign over you. And not just that He would be the only one who reigns over you. But His purpose is to invite you into His reign so that you begin to reign with Him. Now we see fundamentally in creation that God made a distinction between the way in which He created human beings and the way in which He created everything else. Everything else he created, he created in isolation. He created with just a word. Let there be light, and there was light. Let there be. Let there be. Let there be. Let there be birds in the air. There were birds in the air. Let there be fish in the sea. There were fish in the sea. Let there be livestock and land animals, and there was land animals. Let there be vegetation, and there was vegetation. Let there be. Let there be. Let there be. Let there be. But when it came to the creation of humankind, he comes down, he stoops down in the dust of the ground, gets on his hands and knees, and gathers up all of this dirt. He gets dirty. And he fashions this man, Adam, out of the dust of the ground. And now there's this dust figurine that's formed in God's very image and likeness. And God puts his mouth on his nostrils and breathes into his nostrils the spirit of life. That word breath and spirit, it's the same word. Literally, he gave a dust figurine the gift of the Holy Spirit. And because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, that dust figurine became what the Bible calls a living soul. So to be human, and we've talked about this before, but to be human means first and foremost to be formed in the image of God, secondly to be filled with the Holy Spirit, third to be in a face-to-face -face encounter with God. That's what it means to be human. Not just to be a good Christian, not just to be a good disciple, but to be human, that was God's original plan for humanity. You know, humanity gets blamed for so much that's so inhuman. You fall into sin say, what happened? Well, I'm only human. You make a mistake, you mess something up, hey, I'm human. Humans make mistakes. 
But we got to understand that when God created Adam and Eve in the garden, He did not create two sinners. He didn't create a couple of screw-ups. He didn't create two unholy, impure, messed up folks who couldn't get anything right. He created two pure, holy, righteous individuals that were formed in His very image and likeness. Literally, Adam was God's logo. He was God's icon. He was the visible representation of God's being in the created order. So that everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth could look at Adam and see the reflection of God himself. That's what it meant to be human. And then that's in Genesis 2-7. In Genesis 1-26, Genesis 1-26 it says... Uh, God made man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them, and God blessed them. To be human means to be blessed. And what did he bless them with? He said, be fruitful and multiply. To be human means to be fruitful. And then he said, rule and take dominion. Take dominion over the earth, dominion over the birds of the air, dominion over the fish of the sea. I want you to rule. And that's what I want to talk about today, that aspect of God's rule that is part of your humanity, one of the principal aspects of what it means to be human, of what God created you for, of God's creative purpose in bringing you into being is that you would rule. Human nature is an invitation to share God's dominion and rule with him. Adam, I'm ruling, now you're going to learn how to rule. You're going to rule, Adam. This is how you are going to reflect my being and my nature in the earth. You're going to learn how to rule. You're going to rule. You know, we talk a lot about the kingdom of God. We talk a lot about God being in charge. How many know that God is in charge? I was praying this week, and, and I, we went into Mexico. I kept saying, Lord, you rule, you reign, you rule. Let your kingdom come. Let your reign come. Lord, you rule over this place. You rule. And the Lord spoke to me so clearly. He said, Benjamin, I'm going to rule with or without you. That's not a question. The question is, are you going to rule? <laughs> you know, I like walking around Emeryville praying over buildings. And one of the things I used to do is I'd go pray over a building and lay hands on and say, God, this building belongs to you. It's yours. It's yours. It's yours. Lord, this building is yours. I declare it's yours. This building is yours, God. This building belongs to you. It's yours. It's yours. It's yours. And I remember one day the Lord woke me up in the midst of that. Benjamin, what if somebody came to your house and started saying, Benjamin, this house is yours. This is yours. Benjamin, this room, see this room in this house? This room is yours. This room belongs to you. Benjamin, come here. Come here. Come into this bathroom. This bathroom is yours. This is your value. You, Benjamin, you rule in this house. Benjamin, this is your house. You are in charge in this house. Be like, duh. <laughs> Thus saith the Lord. No, duh. <laughs> of course I rule. Of course it's mine. The question is, is it yours? The question is not whether God will possess it. The cattle on a thousand hills belongs to him. The question is whether you will possess it. The last time the word reign is used in the Bible is in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 5, which just happens to be the last chapter of the Bible. And guess what it says? And they will reign forever and ever. Who? The servants of the Lord. The saints of God. And they will reign. The Bible ends not just with God's reign, but with your reign. And the question is, 
Are you willing to answer the invitation to begin to reign with God? Are you ready to reign? Are you tired of being dominated? Are you tired of being controlled? And are you ready not just to break free, but to learn how to reign? So in the original creation, Adam and Eve reign, but they, they gave up their reign when they denied God's reign. That is, they surrendered their reign to the enemy when they allowed the enemy to deceive them into defying God's reign. They felt, they didn't realize that they could not reign without God. That their reign was located within God's reign. We're, we're going somewhere this morning. And so when they defied God's reign, they lost their reign. Now watch this. Redemption is the restoration of what was lost in the Garden of Eden. When we talk about being saved, saved from what? Saved from hell? Okay, that's part of it. But you're saved, when we're talking about salvation, we're talking about the supernatural reversal of everything that went wrong in the Garden of Eden. You know what the gospel is? You ask most believers, what is the gospel? They'll say it's the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But Mark chapter 1 verse 14 says, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of God. Jesus preached the gospel. Can you imagine Jesus standing up saying, I died and rose again. And so you don't have to go to hell. That's not what he said. He said, the time has come. The kingdom of God is here. When he preached the gospel, he preached the good news of the reign and dominion and glory of God and said, it's here. Meaning it's yours, it's within you, it's among you, it's on your behalf. What he was literally saying is God has come to restore you to the reign that you had with him in the garden before you messed it all up. Everything the enemy has done to rob you of your reign and your rule, God has come in his son Jesus Christ to restore it to you so that you begin to reign with him again. You reign. And so the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ, remember, I'm going to give you this definition of the gospel and write it down. Memorize it. Write it on the back of the head of the person sitting in front of you if you need to. The gospel is the message of the effective reversal of all negative ramifications of the fall through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that again. The gospel is the message of the effective reversal of all negative ramifications of the fall through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say it one last time. You better get it. The gospel is the message of the effective reversal of all negative ramifications of the fall. What's the fall? It's when Adam and Eve ate the fruit. Everything that went wrong when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, Jesus Christ came to make right. Which means he came to restore the gift of the Holy Spirit, the face-to-face -face encounter with God, the blessing of God, the blessing of fruitfulness, and the, the, the divine rule. It's the message of the effective reversal of every negative ramification of the fall through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you ain't got it, just get the CD. So he comes to restore you to your rule. Now here's where... Most of us Pentecostal, charismatic, tongue-talking, spirit-filled, gifts of the Holy Spirit moving in believers get it all messed up. Because when we start talking about ruling, first place our mind goes is, is ruling over the devil. 
talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And so we're going to rule. And so who do we try to rule? I come against every power and principality, every demonic power in heavenly places. I cast down this stronghold. I come against this. I come against, and, and pretty soon we're trying to rule the demonic. Or over money. No, I rule in the workplace. When I go to work, I'm going to get this promotion and they're going to bow down to the kingdom when I walk in and they're going to bow down and they're going to, and they're going to give me the job because I know I'm going to get the promotion. I'm going to, and I rule. We think we're supposed to rule in politics or we're supposed to rule over unbelievers or we're supposed to rule over sickness or we're supposed to rule over disease or we're supposed to rule over the devil or we're supposed to rule over all of these things and yes all of those things are an outflow of our fundamental place of rule our fundamental place of rule is not external it's internal follow me second corinthians 5:17 says if anyone is in christ he is a new creation peep the technique in the original creation god starts with the garden and creates a perfect world and then he creates a perfect being and puts that perfect being in that perfect world so that the internal perfection on the inside of adam is matched by the external perfection of the garden and when he puts Adam in that garden, he puts him in a world in which that which is external is, a, is completely in alignment with that which is internal. So the world first, and then he puts the humanity within that world. In the new creation, he starts with the new humanity and puts him in the old world. <laughs> That's what's messing you all up, because see, you got saved... And you got delivered and set free, and then you got filled with the Holy Spirit. And you, got, you started speaking in tongues and laying hands on folks, and you thought everything changed, and you went home and looked in the mirror and noticed you're still ugly. <laughs> you thought everything was supposed to change because you said that prayer at the altar. But the problem is you're looking for everything external to change all around you. You're looking for a perfect world, and the new creation of the new heavens and the new earth hasn't come yet. It says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Didn't say his family is new. Didn't say his workplace is new. Didn't say his body is new. Didn't say his finances are new. Didn't say his job is new. Didn't say his school's new or his neighborhood. Your neighborhood is still as messed up as it always was. Your family's still jacked up. Your mama's still mad at you. Your brother still can't stand you. Your bank, your bank account is still empty. Bill collectors are still calling you. And many of you are looking around at the jactification of your external world. I'm a doctoral student. I can make up words. Somebody don't have a doctorate, they make up a word. You say, that's not a word, you idiot. You have a doctorate, you make up a word. They say, he just coined a new phrase. <laughs> jactification. That's going to be in the next version of Webster's Dictionary. You looked at the jactified nature of your external world and you think nothing internal happened because nothing external changed. But that's the nature of salvation in the new creation. He changes. When, he, when God went to bring about a new heavens and a new earth, he started with a new man. Nobody sees it. Think about it. Nobody sees it. 
But there's a new man. A new woman. And that's the beginning of a new creation. That is the sign that God is getting ready to bring about the, the new creation, the new heavens, and the new earth. Why? Because he changed you. And nobody could have changed you. Because you were messed up. But he changed you. And the first thing he changed is your mind. Remember, the mind is the lead member of the soul. Because your thoughts control your emotions, your emotions control your decisions, your decisions control your actions. So your body is actually controlled by what you decide. What you decide is controlled by what you feel, and what you feel is controlled by what you think. So when God goes to change you, he starts with the mind. And that's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. That is, looking around you, nothing seems to change, so you figure out, I'm, you figure I might as well join the crowd. Paul says, don't join the crowd. I don't care if everything around you is jacked up. You do not conform yourself to the pattern of this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is, God will eventually bring about the new heavens and the new earth, but he's starting first by giving you a new mind. When you begin to think kingdom thoughts, when your mind is transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, that is the sign that God is bringing about a new heavens and a new earth. Do not surrender the sign of the coming kingdom of God. It's your mind. Watch this. Ephesians 4, verse 17. We're going to break this down for a second. Is that okay? Do we got time? Or is a game coming on? Because you seem a little itchy today. Is somebody playing today? No? You, you just got a, a chicken bacon in the oven. That's okay. <laughs> Roman, uh, Ephesians 4.17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Stop. You, you, think, you think what he's going to say next is change your behavior. See, that's what we think. What, what we tend to think is that when you come to Christ, you've got to change your behavior. And what we, try to do, what we tend to do is churchify people. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Then you need a haircut. You've got to cut them dreadlocks off. Yeah, yeah. So, so what we do is when you come to Christ, what you've got to do is get a new haircut, get some new clothes, get some new friends, throw away your CD collection. And what we do is we reach for some type of external conformity. Don't live as the Gentiles do. What we, and what we do is he said, we've got to throw off that sinner culture and just and, and adopt a church culture. Because that's really when you're really a disciple is when you've adopted a church culture. Stop speaking all that slang and start speaking a Chris, Christianese. How are you, brother? <laughs> you say, oh, what's up, homie? What's up? What's up? What's my dog, my dog, my dog. Now you say, hello, brother. Hi, brother. <laughs> oh, brother Oscar, how are you? It's good to see you. Wow, he really got sanctified. He even talks differently. No, he just became a religious hypocrite. Paul says, you no longer live as the Gentiles live. Look at the rest of it. In the futility of their thinking. He didn't say their actions. He said, first of all, their thinking is futile. I don't care what your haircut looks like. I don't care what kind of clothes you wear. I don't care what kind of music you listen to. Is your thinking futile? You say, well, I, I dress up. I go to church. I carry a big old King James Version Bible. Yeah, you know one of the big religious Bibles, big white ones you used to put out on the coffee table so everybody thinks you're religious when people come over to your house. <laughs> Bible's so big I've got to pull it in a wagon. 
Where are you going? To church. <laughs> my life's all about the Word. <laughs> Ain't none of it in your heart. It's just on your coffee table. He said, don't live as the Gentiles do in the futility of your thinking. That is, if your thinking is futile, you're still living as a Gentile. The new creation has not even begun until your mind has been transformed. Watch this. They are darkened in their understanding. Their thinking is futile. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. You see what he says? Mind, understanding, and hearts. What does he say in the next verse? Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Why? Why do they act that way? Because their thinking is futile, their understanding is darkened, and their hearts have been hardened. If you allow your mind to dwell on futile thoughts, and if you allow the enemy to darken your understanding, and if you allow bitterness to harden your heart, you'll do all of those things. Turn off the monitors. Okay? So, so this is what I'm getting at this morning. When God invites you into His reign... What he invites you into is his reign over your mind. Listen to me. Listen to me. Don't worry about that. Listen to me. When Jesus Christ restores his reign in you, the first thing he does is give you the authority to reign over your mind. A lot of people trying to reign over demons but not reigning over their minds. I cast down every principality in heavenly, but your mind is jumping all over the place and you have no authority. No authority to rein it in. You know, you ever seen, you ever ever seen somebody with too many kids? I mean, more, more kids than they can handle and their kids are just all over the place, like raising hell. You know what I'm talking about? In the grocery store and they're trying to go through the grocery and they got, you know, kids running everywhere, jumping over stuff, pulling stuff. Get down from there. Come down. Boy, get over here. Come over here. Boy, sit down. Stop that. Boy, get out there. Sorry, come over here, boy. Get over here, boy. Come over here. And that is going crazy. That's what most believers' minds look like. You got thoughts going toward lust and bitterness, thoughts going toward anger and disillusion. Did I, did I lose everything here? The battery died on this thing. It's a problem. It's a, a, a faulty battery. Your mind's jumping over in this direction. You got thoughts jumping in that direction. Thoughts jumping in that direction. Thoughts jumping. And you're, and you're just in your mind going, "Stop that! Come over here! Come over here! Stop that! Come down from there! Stop that! Don't think about that! Stop that! Come here! Stop! Come! What you And you're just being run by your your mind. Your thoughts are jumping off like monkeys in a banana tree. Thoughts all over the place and ain't got no authority. But don't try to rule demons. Don't, and then you're in the hospital laying hands on sick people. I command this sickness to leave in Jesus' name. You couldn't cast the devil off a blade of grass. Test, test. Wow. 
Testing, one, two, three, microphone check. All right, we're back in the game. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, The weapons of our warfare are not of this world, but they're mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, when we, when we think about the weapons of our warfare not being of this world, but being mighty in God, the first thing we think is that these weapons empower us to do spiritual warfare, right? The weapons of our warfare, I'm going to fight the devil, I'm going to draw my sword and fight the devil, and, you know, fencing with the devil, that's what I'm thinking, you know. Well, I got a, you know, I got a Uzi of the spirit, I'm taking demons out, you know. I'm a spiritual gangster, man. I'm going to be cutting devil's throats and, you know, that's, <laughs> remember when Christian rap first started, you know, and it, they tried to be violent and gangster, just to aim it at the devil, you know, you know, that, that, that passage is not about the devil at all. The devil's not even mentioned. He says the weapons of, war, of our warfare are not of this world, but they're mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. Strongholds in your mind, in your thinking, thought patterns that you just can't seem to get free from. Paul said, I got weapons to pull down those strongholds. I got stuff you ain't seen before. Not weapons that I carry, they're not of this world, but they're mighty in God to pull down strongholds. Paul says, when I'm done with you, your mind, you're going to think differently. You say, well, I'm stuck in this pattern of thinking, not when I'm done with you. Not when you get finished hearing the word I'm giving you right now. That stronghold's going to be broken off your mind, and you're going to be free to reign in your thinking. And then he said, casting down vain imaginations. Don't be trying to cast down the principality over the, the city of Emeryville. Cast down vain imaginations in your own mind. You ever found yourself in the middle of a vain imagination? You're like, what am I thinking? Why am I? What the heck? How did I get here? Cast down that vain imagination. You say, I take authority over that thought. Cast it down. And every high thing that exalts itself against the power, the knowledge of God. Any power of deception that locks itself in your mind, that mimics the authority of Jesus Christ and exalts itself against the, the knowledge of God, you cast it down. And then it says this, taking into captivity every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ. There's your authority right there. All other authority of the believer comes out of that. Yeah. You want to talk about authority over sickness? Start with authority over your thinking. Yeah. You want to talk about authority over the spirit of poverty? Start with authority over your thinking. You want to talk about authority on your, in your workplace, on your job? You get authority over your mind. You start by learning how to take every thought captive to the obedience. Make your thoughts slaves. You ever seen them people with their kids on leashes? You go in the grocery store and they got like five leashes coming from their belt. Kids trying to run. <laughs> Mommy, I don't want to go this way. Oh, you coming. <laughs> kids wearing a harness and a leash pulling. You're coming with me. I don't care what you think. You're going where I say you go. Some of you, your thoughts are so wild, running wild, they get kidnapped. You know, my mom used to tell us when we were little kids, you stay close to me because somebody might kidnap you. They might take you someplace and do things to you that you don't want to be done to you, so you stay close. I remember I was with my mom one time, and uh, we were, it was late at night. We were coming out of the grocery store in East Oakland, and, and, and as we were walking, uh, this, 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 this creepy-looking white dude, old white dude, he was bouncing a ball, and he was looking at me smiling, and then he bounced the ball close to him. And I went, he's giving me a ball. 
And my mama grabbed me by the back of the shirt. Get back over here, boy. Get in this car. She threw me in the car and threw my two brothers in the car and drove off. She got me home. She took off her belt and she whooped me good. You know what she was saying? That man could have killed you. That man was a predator. He was coming to destroy you. I'm disciplining you because I love you. I'm going to teach you not to go off after the stray balls that strangers throw your way. All it takes is the devil to just bounce a little ball your way and your thoughts go, oh, (laughs) oh, (laughs) oh, look at that. And your thoughts are getting kidnapped by devils and the devils take, all you got to do is take one step towards the devil. He grabs that thought, throws it in the back of his van and drives you somewhere and you say, why did I get here? Why am I doing thinking about this? It's because you went after the little ball that he just bounced your way. You need to learn to grab your thoughts by the back of the neck, take them home, take off your belt and whoop them good. I never went after a bouncing ball again after that night. I tell you. <laughs> I mean, I was on the, I was on the varsity basketball team, and I say, hey, don't throw me no balls, man. <laughs> I didn't catch no passes. Hey, I'm not. Uh, no, no, man. That's that's deception, right there. I don't know what you're gonna do to me if I catch that ball. <laughs> Baseball team, I'm just stepping out of the way. Balls just flying right by me. <laughs> I learned my lesson. Gotta learn to make your thoughts your slaves. To put them in chains and to lead them in a train behind you. God's called you to rule, but it starts with ruling over your thoughts. Now the scripture says that God has not given us a spirit of bondage again to fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. What is soundness? When they say a vessel is sound, what does that mean? It's seaworthy. What does that mean? It means it ain't got no holes in it. It doesn't, it means nothing can enter that vessel that the vessel does not allow in. It means if you're going to get on that vessel, you got to open the door and come in through the door. And if the door's locked, you're, you're not getting in. But when you puncture holes underneath that vessel, now it's taking on water. It means the vessel cannot determine what comes in and what does not come in. It's going to sink. The Spirit gives us a sound mind, which means the Spirit makes us whole, so sound, to the point where nothing can get in that we don't allow in. As soon as you say, well, you made me, well, you made me, she made me mad. She made you mad? As in put a gun to your head and said, be mad or I'll pull the trigger? Or did you make the decision to open the door and allow anger to come into your mind and heart? See, you're about to make me cuss. About to make you cuss? <laughs> it's like an episode of Nephew Tommy. You know, when Nephew Tommy calls church folks and got them cussing on the phone? Oh, Lord Jesus, you done made me lose my sanctification. Made you lose your sanctification? In Galatians chapter 5, he talks about the difference between the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. (laughs) The fruit of the Spirit, well, first of all, he says the works of the flesh are evident, and they are, you you name it, bad stuff. (laughs) But then he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, And what's the last one? 
What's the last one? Self-control. Say it again. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. One of the fruit that grows on the Holy Spirit tree is this fruit called the power to control yourself. Self-control, literally, the fruit of the Spirit is soul control. The ability to control your soul. You see a family with a lot of kids, but their kids are in order. When the father says, come over here, boy, and the boy goes, yes, daddy? That's what your mind should look like. All your kids are in order. Get a hold of your kids. <laughs> See, I've got so many inner children right now. <laughs> Get a hold of your kids. Don't be having no baby kids running everywhere. Get them in order. Soul control. The fruit of the Spirit is the ability to control your mind. The fruit of the Spirit is the power to grab your mind by the throat and say you're not moving in that direction ever again. You're not thinking those thoughts. You're not dwelling on that. You're out of here. Soul control. When the fruit of the Spirit is born in you, when you forgive someone, you forgave them. You say, well, I'm trying to forgive. You ain't got no soul control if you're trying. Hello? Hello? Maybe over the next 10 years I can learn to forgive him. What you're saying is maybe over the next 10 years I might learn some soul control. Well, I'm trying not to be mad at you. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. The Holy Spirit does not give you the power to try. The Holy Spirit gives you control of your soul. And that's what it means to reign. Now I reign. I don't have to have authority over other people. I don't have to even have authority in the workplace. I don't have to have a position in the church. I don't have to have a title. I don't have to have any money. But I reign over my thoughts. And I direct them towards Jesus Christ. I set my mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God because I died and my life is hidden with Christ in God. I do not conform to the patterns of this world, but I am transformed by the renewing of my mind. I put off the old self that grows corrupt with its passions and desires, and I'm renewed in the spirit of my mind. See, that is real reigning. That's real authority, Jack. And you find somebody who's got that authority and that power, you can put them in any place of government and in any position of power, and they'll reign there too because they reign over their own mind. Soul control says I'm not going to be discouraged anymore. I just won't allow it into my mind. I'm not going to tolerate those thinkings of suicide anymore. I will not entertain the idea that my life is worthless. I'm not going to be rejected anymore. I'm not going to carry rejection into the room and feel like everybody's rejecting me. You know what? I don't care if everybody is rejecting me. I'm not rejected. I'm accepted. I don't allow rejection into my mind. I don't think thoughts of rejection. I know that I'm accepted by God, and so I carry acceptance. 
And even if you try to reject me, I'm just going to smile and go, it's all good. I reign. Because you can't reject a king. (laughs) It's time for you to reign. It's time for you to reign. It's time for you to rise up in your authority and begin to reign with Christ. He is inviting you to reign with him. I know it's, you say, well, it's pride, isn't it? Because I'm talking about my reign, not God's. No, it's not pride. You're talking about God's reign through you. And don't you realize that when you, re- re- when you relinquish your reign, you relinquish his reign in you. You're going to reign. You're not going to be dominated anymore. You're going to reign. And that is the sign that God is bringing about the new creation of all things. Because he hasn't changed the economy. The murder rate hasn't changed. Neither has the divorce rate. And your neighborhood is still jacked up. And you've still got family problems. But you know what? You think differently now. Your mind doesn't go places it used to go. And when you begin to think differently, when you get rid of the futility of your thinking... The darkness of your understanding goes away. And you begin to reign in your mind. All of a sudden, people begin to see it and say, what is different about you? Something's different about you. Something's different about you. I want what you've got. All of a sudden, the external begins to conform itself to what's on the inside of you. But it starts with you reigning in your mind. And you're going to reign. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you today. I give you all the praise. I give you all the glory. And I speak your blessing over this house in Jesus' name. I thank you, Father, that you have armed me to the teeth with weapons that are not of this world but are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I pull down every stronghold in every mind. Lord, there are many in here that have just been thinking, I I just, I can't stop thinking this way. I mean, I wish I could, but I can't. I'm just trapped in this thought pattern. I've been thinking this way for years, and I wish I could stop, but I can't. I just don't have the power. First thing I have to say to you, my brother, my sister, is you've got to believe the gospel. The time has come. The kingdom of God is here. You've got to believe the gospel. This is the gospel. The time has come for you to stop thinking you're bound and begin thinking you're free. The time has come for that stronghold to be broken from over your mind. The time has come. The time has come right now. This is not a prophetic word. I am not here to declare to you what God is about to do tomorrow at about this time. This is not a prophetic word. This is a decree. I'm telling you what God is doing right now. And some of you are still sitting here thinking, well, I hope God does it in me one day. That lie of the devil, I judge it right now. God is doing it right now. The time has come now. The time has come. The time has come for you to stop thinking those thoughts of despair. For you to stop thinking those, stop, those thoughts of inadequacy. The time has come for you to stop thinking those lustful thoughts. Those perverse thoughts. 
But first, you've got to stop thinking you're bound by it. The time has come. You are free. You are free. Shift your heart around that right now. Shift your mind. I command your mind to shift around that word right now. That thing has no power over you from this day forward. You're free. The time has come. I declare the gospel. The time has come. And the kingdom of God is here. The reign of God over your thoughts, over your thinking, over your mind is here. You are not powerless. You are not defeated. You are free. And you are not only free, but you are free to reign with Him. I declare it over your mind right now. In the name of Jesus, I declare it. I decree it. You say, well, I don't feel anything happening. I don't care what you feel. It is not about your feelings. You say, well, I don't understand it. I don't care whether you understand it or not. It is not about your understanding. You're simply going to receive what I'm saying to you right now, and your mind is going to change. And you're going to walk in freedom. You're going to walk in victory. You're going to walk in power. You're going to walk in authority. And wherever you go, the kingdom of God is going to go. In Jesus' name, I decree it, and I establish you in the truth right now. The time has come. The kingdom of God is here. And many of you here have known that one day God was going to set you free from this. One day. I knew God would come one day. I just know one day. I know one day. Listen, I'm telling you by the word of the Lord that that day is today. That one day is today. Today is one day. It's right now. Right now at this moment. If you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. I lift you up into the reign of God. I lift you up into the flow of his kingdom. I lift you into it right now and I declare you're free. You're free and I command your heart to rejoice in it right now. I command you to begin to rejoice in it. I speak the blessing of Isaiah 60 over you. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Arise, shine. I command. This is a command. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Your light has come. You've been waiting for it, and it's here. You've been asking God for it, and it's here. What you have been asking God to set you free from, you are now free from it right now. You are now free from it. I'm speaking it until you believe it. I command you to believe it right now. Your mind and heart, you're going to believe it right now. I'm not going to lay hands on you. I don't need you to come to this altar and cry. I'm not asking you to lift up your hands and ask God to do it. I'm declaring that God has done it. You're receiving it in your heart and mind right now. God has done it. You know the truth, and the truth has set you free. You will not be entangled again in a yoke of bondage. You are free. You are reigning with Him. I release you in your authority, in your kingdom authority, to rule in your mind. To rule in your mind. You are a monarch. You are kings and priests, and you rule over your thoughts. When you stand up in your mind, every thought is going to kneel before you. Every thought is going to come bow down and kneel before you, and you're going to grab those thoughts and take them right to the throne of Jesus Christ and submit them to Jesus. You're going to come before Jesus and say, Lord, here's all of my thoughts. I surrender them to you. I surrender. And I've captured every one of them. Not one has escaped. 
I've taken no prisoners. There's not one thought that's escaped. I got them. They're all right here, Lord. Here they are. Here they are. And you're free to worship because there's no more distractions. Like David, you're going to begin to say, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O Lord. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sands of the sea. When I awake, I'm still with you. As you begin to reign over your thoughts and focus them on Jesus, you'll find that he'll keep you in perfect peace because your mind is stayed on him. You'll find that you're going to dwell on whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are praiseworthy, if there be any virtue, you're going to think on these things and the God of peace will be with you. And you'll find that the sweet presence of the Lord will dwell with you throughout the day because your mind stays with Him. You'll keep your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God because you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You'll wake up in the middle of the night and feel His presence in your room because your mind is stayed on Him. And even your dreams are going to be transformed. Instead of having evil dreams and perverse dreams and disturbing dreams, your dreams are going to become the playground of the Holy Spirit, the place where the Spirit of God comes and gives you revelation. And you will dream dreams in the Spirit. You will have visions in the Spirit. God is going to speak to you. There will be no more disturbance. This is the highway, the highway of holiness that the pure of heart walk on. And you're safe. I declare it in Jesus' name. You're safe. I just speak a hedge of protection around you and over you. I release in you the authority of the kingdom of God to rule and to reign with Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.